Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Yeah, your Bibles open up to Numbers chapter 20. Yeah, Numbers chapter 20. I've been preaching a lot from the Old Testament lately. Um, I just find that when we have a proper understanding of the New Testament, man, it adds so much richness to the Old Testament when we go back and we read through it. Um, and also, I mean, it, it, you think about it, when, when the Apostle Paul wrote that all strict scripture was given for, our, um, for teaching and correction, he was talking about the Old Testament. They didn't, they didn't have the NASB yet. And so there has to be a lot of stuff in there that's good for us to learn from. And, and I think that when we have the proper perspective of who God is and we understand who we are in Christ, when we read the Old Testament, we gain so much more from it. Um, so anyways, Numbers chapter 20, verse 2 <clears throat> says, There was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? Is it, not, it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron came in and from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod. And you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rod twice with the rod. And the water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Those were the waters of Meribah, because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and he provided himself holy among them. God, I thank you for your word today. I just thank you for you, God. I thank you that that you're here and that you're speaking to us today, God, that your Holy Spirit is opening our ears to hear and our minds to understand, our hearts to receive everything that you've hidden in your word, God, that, that like a treasure we would just discover more and more of you as we dig in more. And I thank you, God, that your word goes into our hearts, God, that, that the seed of your word would produce fruit in our lives, God, that, that a world that doesn't know you, God, that a world that's desperately looking for you in all the wrong places would t- see and taste the fruit of our lives and know that you're good. And I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So... The people are doing what the people do. This seems like a constant story with the children of Israel and with Moses and Aaron. They, they, just, they get to this place and it's like, it doesn't matter how many times God's done things before. Now we're, I mean, at this point we're going on, it's getting close to being you know, four decades of seeing His faithfulness. Of every day Him providing what they need for everything that they need, for food, uh, for water. Their clothes don't wear out. Their shoes don't wear out. There's no sick among them. Like, everything that they've needed, he's provided for decades, but yet the minute they see a need and they see they don't have an answer for it, they immediately begin to panic 
And the first thing they do is they start to lose perspective on who's actually leading and guiding them. Because they look to Moses and they're like, why have you brought us here? Moses never brought them anywhere. God did. And they saw how God did it. They saw all the plagues. They saw the miracles. They saw the sea part. Their parents would have seen all these things happen. The stories would have been passed down from generation to generation. But yet, because they're in a place where they can't understand and they don't see how they're going to be provided for, they instantly need to find somebody to blame. And that somebody is always Moses and Aaron. And so Moses, I would imagine at this point, he's tired of it. Like, he's, he's probably fed up. You think about it, if you had been for years and years and years and years leading these people and seeing God's faithful hand guide you, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a cloud by day and he's fire by night. I mean, he's constantly showing up on their behalf. He's parting seas and, 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 and just doing anything that they need. He's always taking care of them. They haven't, you realize they didn't do one thing for themselves. They didn't make new clothing. They didn't make new shoes. They didn't plant they didn't harvest. They did nothing besides simply follow God and enjoy what He provided for them. And so, Moses, I would imagine at this point, is probably getting frustrated. And he's thinking, here we go again. And so, he goes before the Lord. Him and Aaron, they get before the Lord. And he says, you know, falls on his face before God, and God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get the rod. And at this point, Moses' mind is probably going. He's probably thinking, okay, I'm going to go and strike the rock like I did before. Because years earlier, back in Exodus chapter 17, it talks about when he told him to go and strike the rock, and water flowed from the rock. And so as soon as he says, go and get the rod, Moses is thinking, here we go again, I'm going to get the rod, I'm going to strike the rock. But God doesn't say that. He says, go get the rod, and I want you to go out before the people. But this time, I want you to speak to the rock. And when you speak, commanding the water to come forward, it will flow and it will water the congregation, it will water their beasts. So, Moses goes out there, and he looks at the people, And he says, listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? When you read it in the context of knowing what's about to happen, it's awfully odd that Moses is calling the people rebels when he's about to rebel and not do the very thing that he was told to do. It's one reason why you've got to be really careful about the judgments that you make in life. Because oftentimes, if you start judging people, you find yourself falling into the exact thing that you've been judging. I don't know why that happens. I just know that it does. So, he says, you rebels... Shall we now provide water for you? What? And when we read this story, you read it and you think, man, God is so harsh. Like, He won't let Moses go into the promised land just because 
Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it. That seems like such a small, insignificant thing. Like, why on earth, after all the things that people did wrong, after everything that, was, that had gone on, why is this one thing such a big deal? Why does he look at him and say, because you've done this and you didn't do what I said, now you will not be able to enter into the land. It seems like a little deal, but here's, there's a few problems with it. And these are the things I really want to talk about today that, because God's been speaking to me about these in my own life. And so I just want to share that on with you guys because maybe there's at least one other person here that needs to hear that. But in that moment... What Moses did was he stepped into God's place for the people. And he took a responsibility that was supposed to be the Lord's on his own shoulders and said, shall we now provide for you water from this rock? When did God ever ask Moses to provide anything? When did God ever ask Moses anything besides his obedience? You realize how many people were needing water. If it was just the bare amount that they needed to live that day, for the millions of people that were there, they would have needed thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of gallons of water for all of them to drink and for their animals to be able to drink and live. When did God ever say, Moses, I want you to go provide water for the people? He never did, but Moses stepped into a position and took something on his shoulders that was supposed to be the Lord's responsibility. And I believe partially it was because he was angry. And the anger of God never works. What? The anger of God never, ever, ever, and the anger of man will never, ever work. The righteousness or the goodness of the Father. The right actions of the Father. It will never produce it. And so out of his anger, he begins to, to, to think, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do this. And what is he? so he steps out and he says, you rebels, shall we now produce? And, and I, I believe God was probably in heaven watching this happen and going, whoa, wait a minute. What are you doing? I never asked you to provide them anything, Moses. I never asked you to be their source. See, the problem with the people is that they had forgot that God was their source. And they thought Moses was their source. And that's why their anger was towards Moses when they didn't have any water. They thought Moses was the one that was leading them. That's why they said, why have you led us out of Egypt to this place? It's not a good place. There's nothing here that we want. And they'd lost complete sight of the fact that it was the Lord who brought them out of Egypt and it was the Lord who was their source. And now they're suddenly pointing their fingers at Moses and Moses calls them rebels for doing it and then steps right into the exact same place and sees himself as their source and their supply. And he takes a responsibility on his shoulders that was supposed to be the Lord's. And he says, shall we now provide you with water? God has no interest in you trying to be God for people. Even the command to bear one another's burdens is submitted to the command to cast all of your cares upon Him. Sometimes we'll take people's responsibilities, we'll take people's burdens on, and we'll forget that even in that, there's an act that's required on our end that we're supposed to actually cast our cares upon Him for He cares for us. 
and it becomes this heaviness that we were never meant to carry. And we walk around carrying stuff for other people and we take a responsibility on ourselves. And the problem with that is this, is that when something happens, we will then take the credit for it without even realizing it sometimes and it'll be a source of pride in our lives because we stepped into a position and played God and then when something good happened, we, we in our minds, without even realizing it sometimes, pride will start to creep in and we'll start to think, look at how good of a job I did for that person. Wow, are they lucky to have me in their life. Never realizing that all we're doing is taking something that was never supposed to be ours. And in doing so, we may be robbing the people of an opportunity to see God move and taking the glory for something that was really His responsibility. And here's the crazy thing about it, is God loves His children so much that He'll even work through Moses' disobedience, but it'll end up costing Moses. And sometimes the fruit of your disobedience, even sometimes you're like, well, you know, what's the fruit? Sometimes there may be a whole lot of fruit, but that doesn't justify the actions that brought the fruit because the fruit of Moses' disobedience was God produced water from the rock because He loved His children. And if you're judging only by the fruit, if you're judging your life only looking at the fruit of what you've done rather than by what have I heard from the Father, you can get yourself into big trouble because sometimes there will be fruit even in spite of your actions, not because of your actions. And if you're not careful, you'll start to think it's because of you. Trust me, I've wrestled this word for, all, all, for a long time, actually. I had a conversation with a friend this week, and he, we were talking about something totally unrelated to that. We were talking about just the striking of the rock, and, and I, I went home and started studying through it again, and man, I felt God really speaking to me about not doing that, about not taking on the heaviness of feeling responsibility for other people and for everything, and feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders, and feeling like it's your responsibility to do something that the Father actually wants to do. And it can seem so humble that's the part about it that's scary is it can seem so humble because it feels like, man, I'm just really serving. I'm laying down my life for other people. And the whole time you're stepping into a position God's never called you to step into and you're carrying a weight you were never called to carry. And the problem is, is that when you think it's you that's doing it, like Moses said, shall we now provide you with water? He fully believes that it's his actions that are going to produce the water. Does he not understand that apart from God, there's not a single ounce of water coming out of that rock? But see, what happens sometimes too is because we've done something before in obedience, that becomes the thing that becomes our response every time we find ourselves in a similar situation. And because we're not living by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Father, we're living by a word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father. We miss the fact that what He said in the last time that we were in that season is not what He's saying this time in that season. And even if it looks similar, starting out with grabbing the staff and going in front of the people, the thing that He wants you to do is totally different than the thing He called you to last time. And I believe that, that the reason that God said you can't go into the promised land was as much for Moses and his people's sake as it was because of what Moses did wrong. Because I think God was saying, listen to me, Moses, there's coming a time where when you lead, go into battle, if you lean on what I told you yesterday to go fight the battle that you're called to fight today, you'll lead my people into slaughter because one day I'm going to do it this way and the next day I'm going to do it that way and I can't trust them with a leader who keeps looking back at what I did rather than looking forward to what I'm going to do. And so he loves the people so much, he says, Moses, you can't do that. God's always trying to break that mentality from us. He hates formulas. 
I'm telling you, he hates formulas. That's why every time Jesus healed someone, he did something different. Why? He never wanted us to put any faith in the act. He wanted us to put the faith in the one who did the act. If he put mud in every person's blind eyes that he healed, we'd have a bunch of blind people running around today with mud all over their faces because every time they got near a Christian, we'd spit on the ground and rub it in their eyes because that's what heals blindness. And I, know, I think he knew that. I think that was the reason why the, one of the first things he does with Joshua is he brings them to a place where they're standing once again in front of a body of water that they can't cross on their own. And what does he say? He says, this time, instead of you standing in front of the water and not touching it and raising your hand over your head and me parting the waters and you walk in, this time I want you to walk into the water and when the feet of the priest hit the water, then I'm going to do what it is that I'm doing. Why? He wanted to make sure that Joshua realized you cannot rely on what I did yesterday to be what I'm going to do tomorrow i may have something totally different in mind and you could stand in front of the jordan river all day long with a staff over your head and all you're going to get is a worn out arm because i have no intention of repeating what i did because i want you to trust me for it's why they had manna it's why manna only lasted one day what was he saying you every single day have to rely on me. That's why it says man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Father. Listen, yesterday's word is awesome and can encourage you into a place of receiving today's word, but today's word is what you need to live today. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own, but today has enough things. What was he saying? Listen, don't even worry about tomorrow, and certainly don't try to live off of yesterday. Today, get from me what you need to live this day. And tomorrow, get from me what you need to live that day. And so he gave them manna as a symbol of this. The whole time they're in the wilderness, all he's trying to get them to do is trust him and obey him. He's trying to set up this thing where he has a people that every day look to him for what they need for that day. Every single day. Manna would rot and be destroyed the the next day. Why? Because he didn't want them living on yesterday's bread. He doesn't want us living on yesterday's revelation. He doesn't want us fighting battles with yesterday's plan. And he doesn't want us getting water to come from a rock with the way he told us to do it before if he's telling us to do it different today. And so Moses... Because he stepped into the place of God for these people, that's really what he did. You know what's crazy? What's crazy is the Bible says that Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. Proving what? You can be really, really, really humble and still have a really bad day and get caught up in pride. And because you were humble yesterday isn't going to carry you through today. The humility that you need today is found by aligning yourself and remembering he's God, I'm his child, I'm his servant. Every single day. Because yesterday's humility was good for yesterday, but it's not enough for today. And so the most humble man that ever lived steps into the place of God. And you you can kind of hear it in the way he talks. He gets the staff and probably dramatically walks out in front of the people. And he says, here now, you rebels. God never said go call the people names. He didn't. What's happened? Moses has seated himself in God's seat and he's now looking down upon the people rather than believing that he's actually there to serve them. He sees himself as Lord over them. 
when we place ourselves in a position above other people and we think that we're better than other people, we'll always speak down to them and we'll always start to make decisions that are tragic. And it may not hurt the people we're making the decisions about. It may be us that it hurts the most. Because guess who got water that day? All the people and their animals. Guess who it cost? Moses and Aaron. And there was no justifying it. Moses didn't go to God when God said, Moses, because of the, you've done this, you will not enter into the promised land which I have promised to the people. He didn't say, but God, they got the water they needed. But God, look at the fruit. But God, look at the result. All's well that ends well, right? God says, listen, I took care of my people. I'll always take care of my people. My concern with you, Moses, is that as a leader, you're stopping looking to me and you're starting to look to yourself. And when it comes to just making water come from a rock, that's one thing. But when it comes to leading people into battle where they're going to face an enemy with swords that's intent on killing them, I can't risk all of my people being destroyed because you've refused to listen to me today and start try to fight the battles based on what I said yesterday. So Moses, you won't go into the promised land. And the first thing I'm going to do with this young new leader is I'm going to recreate a miracle that I've already did to begin your journey, which was to part the sea in front of him. He's going to part the river in front of him. But I'm going to do it completely different this time than I did last time because the first thing I want to establish with Joshua is this. The way I've done things before is not always the way I'm going to do things again. And if you don't listen to me today and you try to live off of what I said yesterday, you're going to stand in front of the water all day long and it's not going to part and you're not going to cross to the other side. So Moses, in anger and in pride, strikes the rock. Water flows. The people and their animals drink. And Moses loses his ability to go into the promised land. And it's one thing for people that don't know him and don't have a relationship with him to lose sight of him as their source. It's a whole other thing for the people who do know him who are supposed to be showing them what the Father is saying and representing the Father to them to lose sight of the Father as their source. And God doesn't hold it against the people. It's not the world's fault that they don't trust God. They don't know him like you do. To whom much is given, much will be required. We always take that as being, you know, your spiritual gifts. You've got to lose your gifts, or you'll lose your gifts. Use your gifts, or you'll lose your gifts, all that kind of stuff. But what if it means this? What if it means that the moment you become aware of who he is, you have a responsibility to represent him to the people just as he is, rather than distorting it and filtering it through what you want? What if the most that could be given to somebody is the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead being deposited and living inside of them. And that to every person who's born again, much has been given, much will be required. 
Someone smile. I think so. It's challenging me. What do I do when, when God gives me something? What do I do when, when I face a situation? Do I, do, I, do I become critical and judgmental and look at people around me and call them something that I'm about to do? How hypocritical of Moses to stand in the position of rebelling against God with his very actions and calling the people's rebe- people rebels with his words. How absolutely hypocritical, but the things that you judge, I'm telling you, the things that you make judgments against have a way of showing up in your life. Why? I think it's because when you don't have compassion for people who are caught in things, there's a pride and an arrogance there that is an open door for the enemy to come in with the very thing that you were judgmental against. Because Jesus always was moved to compassion for people. Always. And Jesus moved by compassion. Jesus, moved. Even when He told the Pharisees, even when He seemed so harsh with the Pharisees, it was because He loved them and wanted to jolt them out of that place that they were in. It was never because He wanted to keep them there. It was always because He loved them too much to not tell them the truth and not show them the way that they were living was wrong. And He loved the people that they were leading astray so much that He couldn't stand to see them get led by the blind into a ditch. And so... Now Moses can't go into the promised land and the people are fed or the people are watered. And so if the people aren't paying attention, if the people don't understand what Moses knows, they think now there's this formula where you take a rod and you strike a rock and water flows from it. And the problem is is that when we don't do exactly what God tells us to do, the representation that we give of people of how God moves is not accurate and they can have a distorted picture of what it is to follow the Lord. And so rather than giving them a true relationship that says it looks different today than it did yesterday sometimes, we give them a religion that looks like a bunch of rules and formulas and we break things down to people and we say, here is how you get water to come from a rock when you're in a place where there is no water. The problem is is that the striking of the staff on the rock had nothing to do with it. And now people are putting their faith in a ceremony, in a staff, in a person, because Moses never said, the Lord is going to make water come from this rock. He said, speak to the rock. I think what he told him was to say, Father, I thank you. God, I thank you. Yahweh, I thank you. Elohim, I thank you. That whatever, however he was called to address him, I thank you, God, that water flows from this rock for your people. I believe that's what he was supposed to say. I believe that because later on, God says something to him that's pretty convicting. He says, Moses, because you've not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. God says, you you didn't treat me as holy. You didn't believe me. So in doing so, you actually took some of the glory that's supposed to be mine for yourself because you took it upon yourself to do something that I never called you to do and I honored that because I love my people but now my people have a distorted view of who I am because you weren't faithful to just be obedient to what I called you to how many people out there have a distorted view of the father because there's people that don't actually present him exactly the way he presents himself to us 
This is why Jesus said, don't lord yourself over one another. He said, the rulers of this world, they lord themselves over one another, but not so with you. In fact, with you guys, whoever wants to be the greatest in my kingdom must become the servant of all. What's he saying? I don't want you to lord it over people because I don't want them to have a distorted view of what I'm like. I want you to actually do what I did. I came here and submitted myself and humbled myself, and I'm washing the feet of the very one who's going to betray me to show you what? That even if I know there's evil in your heart, I'll still love you. Because my, my love for you is not based on your response. So you're going to take me and sell me for silver. For 30 pieces of silver, you're going to sell me. I'll still wash your feet. Because I'm not washing your feet because of what you're going to go out and do for me. I'm washing your feet because I love you. And my love for you is not based on your correct response. My love for you is based on who you are. And I'll love you even if I know there's evil in your heart and that you're going to turn your back on me and sell me. I'll still get on my knees and wash your feet and humble myself. Why? Because I want to show you what the Father is like. And I don't want you to have a distorted view of the Father that says, I only love people that respond to me correctly. I love everybody. Look it up in your Bibles. It says, and Satan had already entered into the heart of Judas before Jesus washes his feet. The Bible is very clear to point that out. Why? Well, because in a different part of Scripture, it says, and Jesus didn't entrust himself to all men because he knew what was in the hearts of men. What is the Bible telling us when we piece this together? It's saying at that moment, Jesus knew that Satan had entered into Judas's heart, and yet he still knelt on his knees before him and washed his feet. And here we are deciding whether we will actually love somebody based on the way that we respond to them. Not knowing what's in their heart. We're on the outside looking in, judging what, by what we see. Yet Jesus can actually see into the heart and knows exactly what's going on in his heart and still chooses to love Judas. And we give ourselves permission to not love people because of external things that we've seen. What's he saying? You realize one day the disciples would understand as they wrote the Gospels, you realize that they would understand one day when they looked back, wait a minute, when the Holy Spirit showed them as they were writing the Scriptures, Satan had already entered into Judas, and yet we watched him wash our, his feet just like he washed our feet. What would they have? They would now have an accurate representation of what the Father's like that they could go and show people. Because Jesus was faithful to do exactly what the Father said. And I believe that was the greatest thing that kept Moses from entering into the promised land was this. I cannot trust you to lead my people if I cannot trust you to show them exactly what I'm like. And if I can't trust you to simply speak when I give you words to speak, how on earth can I trust you to lead them in battle when all of their lives are on the line? And because I love you, Moses, and because I love my people, it's my goodness. Why? Because he's always good. It's always his goodness. You never realize it's even his goodness that, we, that man can die, that we die a physical death is his goodness. When me and Tom Snyder talked about this the first time, it blew my mind. He said, you realize that, that even death is his goodness. We get mad and we blame Adam, but it's actually the goodness of God that man can die a physical death. And the reason why is because if he had not provided a way for man to die a physical death, there would have been no way for Jesus to come and die as a sacrifice in our place. And we would live forever eternally separated in the condition of sin from him. And he, because he couldn't bear that and because he loves us, it was his goodness that provided a way for man to die so that there would be a, a way for man to live forever. 
the way we were intended. It's always His goodness. So I'm just going to close up with this. I know, that's what I said. I'm saying, wow. (laughs) He's better than we think. If we don't think He's good, it's not because He's not. It's because we're not thinking correctly. I promise. It's our thinking that needs to adjust, not His character and nature. So I'm just going to close by asking this question. Whoever's supposed to come up and play at the end, come on up and bring it home with me. Um, sometimes you can be subtle, sometimes you can't. You know, what worked last week doesn't always work this week. And just because last week that hint brought Brandon up doesn't mean it's going to this week. So you've got to be flexible and adapt to what the situation is saying, and you've got to be able to hear the voice of the Father. I feel like God just gives us those humorous little things because it's a heavy subject. He wants us to laugh a little bit and realize that it even applies to little things. But I, 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 I'm doing this right now. It's during worship. I was doing it again, but I'm asking myself, God, are there things that I've taken on my shoulders that are not mine to take? God, are there things that I've placed myself and inserted myself into your role with a good heart and with the best of intentions oftentimes? And I'm actually not allowing people to experience what you want them to experience because I've placed myself between them and you. God, am I, am I feeling weight on my shoulders that I'm not supposed to be carrying because I'm not casting all of my cares upon you because I don't trust that you really do care for me? With the noblest of, of intentions, am I carrying things that are too much for any person to carry and wondering why I feel so heavy all the time? Because Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But it's only easy and it's only light when we're yoked to him and when we're in step with him and we're allowing him to be who he wants to be in our lives. Think about it. If you get yoked together with the strongest of people, yet you run out ahead and take the weight on your shoulders, the weight doesn't feel easy, the burden doesn't feel light. And it's not because they're out of step, it's because you are. And if you want to get back to having an easy easy burden and 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 a light yoke, the only thing that you have to do is find the pace that he's walking at and match his pace. Find where he's going and go where he's going. If he's trying to turn left, quit trying to turn right, because when you do that, you step out of step with him. And now all the weight's on your shoulders, and suddenly what's supposed to be easy and light feels anything but... God, is there any way that I'm out ahead of you, God? Is there any ways that I've taken things on that are not mine to take? Have I placed myself in your position? Because here's the problem, is if I place myself in his position to perform it, I will place myself in his position to receive the praise. And I promise you, God cares very, very much about that. Because the story of Herod happened on this side of the cross. Herod was one day standing giving a speech. And he gave such an impressive speech that the people began to cry, the voice of God and not a man. And Herod took the praise and received it. He didn't even tell them, praise me. He just received something that was supposed to be God's as his own. On this side of the cross, in this covenant, and the angel of death struck him 
and worms devoured him. Yeah, that's a bright, cheery sermon note, right? That's why God had us laugh about Brandon. He, it's not an Old Testament concept, guys. He still cares very, very much about getting the glory that's due to him. And with a good heart and with good intentions, in my own life, I've placed myself in a position to be God for somebody, which means I place myself in the position, if I'm not careful, to receive the praise. And real subtly, pride can start to step in and I can start to think, wow, man, look at how much I'm doing for people. As a pastor, that's an easy trap to fall into because you get to be involved in so many people's lives. And it's pretty easy sometimes to look and think, wow, you are pretty great. Because you start believing your own hype. And you start seeing you rather than seeing the one who gifted you as the reason for it all. And it's not just pastors. It can happen to parents, friends, teachers, students. Employers, employees. It's subtle. It feels good and it comes from a place of really wanting to help people. And even though the people may be helped through it, if we're standing in His place, we're the ones that it will cost in the end. So God, I just thank You for Your Word today. I thank You for just speaking to our hearts, God. I thank You for showing us if there's any places that we've stepped into your place, God, and stepped out of bounds and put ourselves in your position to be so only who you want to be for people, God. I just pray right now that we would cast all of our cares back upon you. If we've picked up anything along the way, God, if we've gotten out of step, Lord, if we've gotten ahead of you or behind you, God, that we would adjust our pace to yours, Father, that once again the yoke would be easy and the burden would be light. You realize that this didn't end with Moses. This idea that the way things have been is the way things will be. Because the Messiah was standing before the very ones who searched the Scriptures to find Him. And yet they couldn't see Him because they were expecting Him to look like every other king that God had sent His people. God has amazing plans for your life, but I promise you they probably look a lot different than the way that you think that they're going to look. And that's okay. There's no, wrong, there's no sin in that. There's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that. Having an expectation is fine as long as our expectation doesn't build a box that's so tight God can't get out of it. Because He's never in there to begin with. They're looking at the Messiah the very one, he says, in vain you search the Scriptures thinking that you will find me, but these are those that point to me. What was he saying? You guys, even reading the Word, even reading the Bible, even reading the Scriptures, if it makes you think that you have everything figured out to the point that I cannot do anything different than what I've done before, it puts you in a box, not me. And I could be standing in front of you tapping on your forehead and you would be looking over my shoulder saying, where is this Messiah? Where is this conquering King? And when is He going to come? And the very people who are looking for Him are the very people that nail Him to a cross because what had been done in the past was the only thing they could ever imagine Him doing in the future. I just want to tell you guys, listen, with your life, 
what he's done in the past is a great thing to give you a confidence that he will do great things in the future. But don't build idols to what he's done in the past. Always be looking for what he's saying and what he's doing now, today, in this day. God, thank you for who you were, but I want to know who you are today to me. Amen.